I, I love it when you guys go back into old hymns like that. Oh, come on. Any of the older generation like the old hymns? They didn't do that for you. They did that for me. <laughs> you guys may be seated. Man, I'm just so grateful for uh, our worship team. I really am. I think we have the best on the planet. I really do. And I'm grateful that we have a, a senior leader who trusts us so much. Hey, bring that a little closer so I don't have to go so far back. There we go. Thanks, Dawson. Let's give it up for Dawson. You look good, Dawson. I'm thankful for a, a senior leader who leaves and the place don't fall apart. Amen. I, I'm so glad you, that was a little bit of confidence in me. Oh, I feel like preaching today. You guys feel like, feel like talking back? Okay. We're starting a brand new series. We're actually going to be in this series from August uh, or through August, from July through August. It's called Living in the Dash. Look at that graphic. It's pretty clever. Shout out to Cody. You can't really tell on the stage, but on other screens, that's like an obituary on the back. And I'm going to tell you why we're going to be in this series, but I want, I want you to write down a date mentally since I know none of you write notes, which is offensive to me, but whatever. There, we're grace-based church. August 20th. Okay, August 20th, it's a Sunday, it's like six weeks away. We're going to be in this series again, but we're doing something called Vision Sunday. And I'm telling you, if, if you're a part of Hill City Church or you call this place home, if you can't come in person, make sure you watch online, but make sure you're in the building. We have some really exciting news to share with you, uh, not just about where we are currently as a church, but where we're going in this next season of life. And I got to tell you, this church has been around for over 40 years. I've been a part of it for over 11. I have never been as excited to be a part of Hill City Church as I am right now in this season. And we can't wait to share some of the things that we're going to be doing that doesn't just impact your Sunday morning, but impacts your Monday through Saturday. We got some community stuff that I'm, I'm really excited about, but I'm not allowed to share it. So August 20th, be here. So this series was birthed, man about June, I went and did a funeral. Now, let me give you some context. Can I, get, can I be honest with you without judgment? I did my first funeral as a pastor in 2018. It was for my grandpa. It was awful and emotional and great all at the same time. You know, you've been a part of funerals. And uh, so then I started doing more funerals because people keep dying. Can I make a light joke about funerals? Okay. I know that's inappropriate, but I got to get through this somehow. And so I, start, I started hating doing funerals because, you know, obvious, right? I hated doing funerals. And so I was complaining about this one funeral I got asked to do during COVID in April 2020. And I was telling Shanik, I don't want to do it. You should do it. You're the senior pastor. <laughs> and he didn't like that. And he's like, you got to do it. And I was like, I don't want to do it. This is awful. I don't even really know these people. What are you going to say? Like, do I get up there and lie about this person, which happens at funerals? Do I get up and celebrate this person even though I didn't know them? And so you, and you, know, you feel my tension? And, and he said something to me that I've never forgotten. And it is now, honestly, if you were to ask me what's my favorite part about being in ministry, I would tell you doing funerals. Because what he said in April of 2020, he says, Corey, remember, it's not really what you say. It's the fact that you get to be there for people in the worst day of their lives. And it, that one phrase changed my perspective about funerals. And now I love doing them. 
And so I was doing this funeral for Maria, uh, or her husband, Mike Thompson, who passed away. She's not here this morning. But, but I got to be there for that family. And, and I remember going, I did the funeral, and then we went to the graveside. And I, I do my little spiel for the gravesite, and then I let the family, like, do their thing, you know. And I, I start walking around graves. You ever do this when you're in a graveyard? I don't know if you've ever been in a graveyard, but I get in graveyards a lot now. And so I was just walking around, looking at these tombstones, seeing these, you know, birth date, dash, death date. And I start daydreaming about these people that are really lived like, what were they like? Did people enjoy their presence or not? Did people have to lie at their funeral or not? I wonder what this family thinks about this person now that they're gone, and do they even care and, and, and remember them? And, and so I started walking, imagining, you know, you got people that lived in the 70s, 80s, 90s, over 100 years old on some of these tombstones, and, and then you walk across some of the really sad ones where they're like kids, and I'm like, oh, man, what would this person be doing with their life if they were still alive? And you got teenage deaths, and you got, you got young 20s and 30s, and I'm just, you know, imagining. And then I came across this this plot of land, which I, this was new for me, y'all. So some of you are like, yeah, duh. You know when you buy it as a couple, you buy the, the land, and then when one dies, the other person's tombstone is already there, even though they're not. Th- I didn't know that. And so I'm looking at this guy's tombstone, birth-death, and, and then the lady's is birth-nothing. And I'm, I'm standing there going, huh, this person's still alive, thinking about What is their life like without their husband, who, by the way, they were married for 56 years. I'm like, that is, I'm not even, I'm 36. They were married for 50, they put up with each other for 56 day-gone years. And the people that are laughing are married. Because they know, I love my spouse, but sometimes I want to kill my spouse. Can I get a witness? She's in the lobby, so she ain't going to look at me right now. We had a fight the last two days, and it was my fault. I, I apologized this morning because I was like, I got to apologize. I'm going to preach. I'm such a hypocrite if I don't apologize. Oh, thank God for the grace of God, right? I was an idiot. So I'm looking at this tombstone, and I get this idea. So I come back to the staff, and I'm like, we got to do this series around the dash, you know, tombstones. I know it's kind of morbid thinking about death, but the reality is, is every single one of us has a dash, and the dash is still alive and well because you're alive and well right here in this room. And so we all have a birth date, but all of us in this room don't have our death date not yet, and we don't know when that's going to be, so we're still currently living in the dash. And it's important for us to talk about that dash because that dash represents so much, doesn't it? It represents our victories, our failures our stress, our anxiety, our love, our hate. Come on, I'm a real preacher. I'm not going to act like we don't live with hate sometimes in our lives. And I I understand. So I wanted to really encourage us and challenge us around this dash, ultimately, your life. What are you doing with your life? And are you proud of the story that you are writing with your life? Because as I'm looking at this tombstone, I, I start thinking about all the things that I've accomplished and all the things that I want to accomplish. And, and I'm curious about your life. And are you proud of the story that you're writing? I even told my wife, I was like, we should fake my death. I know, I know, go with me. To see who shows up at my funeral. You ever think about this? Thanks, Dawson. He said, no one. 
You ever think crazy thoughts like me? I'm like, who would show up? Who wouldn't show up? And do I surprise them here in the funeral session? Surprise! You think this way? I'm crazy, I know. All right, we'll move on. We'll move on. See, what you do with your dash isn't as important as how you do it. Because we can accomplish a lot and do a lot with our dash, but the ultimate question that you have to wrestle with today and the question I want to ask you to have you talk about it with your spouse or with your friends or whoever is, is your dash beautiful? That's the question. Is the life that you're living beautiful? Are people attracted to the way that you do life and the way that you love and the way that you disagree with people and the way that you operate and the way that you parent and the way that you spouse and the way that you friend? Because what you do with your dash isn't as important as how you do it. Is the way that you are living your life a story you're proud to tell when you think about the story of your life? Is it filled with fear, panic, dogma, and selfishness, or is it filled with empathy, passion, curiosity, and generosity? And those are the four words I want to compare and contrast. Because I, I get filled with a lot of fear sometimes, especially circumstantial fear. What's going to happen? You know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that during COVID, I freaked out. I remember praying over every doorpost like an Egyptian soldier, like, <laughs> shall not pass, Gandalf style. I want to say that I had a ton of faith in that season, but I didn't. I, di I just didn't. I was full of fear, and I, I didn't like the way that I felt. I didn't like the way that I did life in that season of my life. And I panicked. I, I don't want to be somebody who's full of panic. I want to be somebody who's full of passion. I don't, I don't want to be somebody who's dogmatic, especially around the Christian faith. Uh, if you've been a part of our church, at least for the last five years, you know there's been a major shift. I, I want to be less dogmatic about the things I believe and more curious because curiosity is what breeds connection and relationship. No one wants to be around somebody that has all the answers, even though I have them. See, I, I don't want to be dogmatic, even in a humorous way. Like, I, I want people to know that when they had a, a moment or an experience with me, that they left feeling valued and loved and that their voice mattered. And people's voice only matters when you don't carry the spirit of dogmatism. Even politically. I want to be somebody who's full of empathy instead of selfishness. Generosity instead of selfishness. I, I want my kids to be motivated to give because they saw their dad give. And it's easy to talk about this stuff. It's hard to live it. That's why we're talking about it for like six, seven weeks because the reality is, is what you do with your dash is important. Are you living in a way that your kids will be proud to mimic? It's thought-provoking. I got a scripture for you. Colossians. Colossians verses 2 or Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I want you to pay attention to this verbiage real quick, okay? It says, for in Christ, all the fullness, the fullness, this word fullness in the original Greek is written in noun tense. So it's a person. In other words, it's Jesus. So read it this way. For in Christ, all the fullness, it means superabundance or completion. So the fullness, which is a noun, Jesus, of deity, lives in bodily form. 
And then it continues in the next verse. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. It uses the same word as that previous verse. However, it's not in the noun form. It's now in the verb form, which is revealing to us because in the verb form, it means it has completed, which means you are already as full as you will ever be in Christ, and you can't get more full. You can't get more complete. You only awaken to the fact that you already are complete in Christ. And this is beautiful because he is the head over every power and authority. So the things that you are stressed about, God has already given you everything you need to overcome those circumstances. You have the fullness of Christ. This is what this church is all about, is to help remind you that you are not trying to get more favor. You are already favored. You're not trying to get more value. You are already valued. You're not trying to get more love. You are already loved. You're not trying to get more of God. You already have all of him. And it's not based on your church attendance and your church duties. It's based on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, and our job is only to awaken to the reality of what has always been true about us. And I'm telling you, that is what motivates people to be attracted to your dash. Attracted to your dash. If you don't believe your dash is significant, you won't live with significance. Not because you aren't significant, but because you refuse to believe that you are. I, was, uh, I, love, uh, I love podcasts. Any podcast listeners? Hopefully your favorite podcasters or podcasters, yeah, are uh, two pastors and a mic. That's like the best podcast on the planet. Those guys are really cool and attractive. That's my podcast, in case you didn't know that. But I listened to a lot of podcasts, uh, and I had over 26 hours of driving over the last two weeks. So I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I listened to on double speed because I'm crazy. And so I got a lot of podcast information downloaded. I don't remember half of it, but I accomplished it. Any threes out there? No? Okay. So my vacations were very successful because I consumed a lot of stuff I forgot. Anyways, there was one podcast I was listening to. It was on, uh, I love neuroscience, uh, neuroscience people. What are they called? Scientists? Neuroscience people. And I, I just love to study the brain. I love to, I love to figure out why people think the way that they think and believe the way that they believe and then ultimately how that impacts their dash. That was clever. Anyways, so I was listening to this neuroscience, and they said this statement, and I've been chewing it for two weeks, and I've been frustrated because it was like a dagger to my soul. And he, and he said this. The person said this. He said, kids do things in search for human discovery, but adults often do things in search for human approval. Yeah, no, it was, it was like, mm, 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 mm. It was good. I, like, paused the podcast and talked about it to my wife, and she didn't want to talk to me about this at all because she was sleeping. She said she's the best road trip partner. That is false. She's the worst. But I started thinking about my dash in that moment is how many things do I do not for human discovery or for growth in my own life, but for human approval? And how many conversations even within the church am I not willing to have because I'm scared of what people will think? Or how many times I've said something and people get mad, not because of what I said, but because of what they thought I said. Well, which that's ministry. Come on, you can relate to that because you've said something at a family reunion and then, and then you hear it about three months later from somebody else who wasn't at that family reunion and you're like, that's not what I said. I mean, I can understand why they got there, but that's not what I said at all. And all of a sudden I start doing things or living my dash based on human approval instead of human discovery. And I don't want to live that way. I was super challenged by that. 
In fact, Philippians 4.8, and this is where I want to focus on, and this is where whenever I'm going to preach, I'm going to come back to this. I, I, there were so many different passages of Scripture of people's dashes that were really cool and also really bad, which is why I love how so many people's lives are shared in the Bible that look way worse than me. You ever think this way? Like, there's some people I can say right now, and I'm like, thank God I didn't live like them. Thank God the writers of the Bible weren't around when I lived, although the writers of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are around, and my God, my kids are going to find my Twitter account someday and be like, Dad, have you ever gone back and started deleting things you said because you thought they were cool, and then you realized they weren't cool at all? Thank you. Thank you for... What am I talking about? Philippians. Philippians 4.8. I was thinking about all these stories I wanted to inspire you with, and I couldn't shake Philippians 4.8. And this is so simple, but so hard. You ready to be challenged? Philippians 4.8. Paul is preaching to the church in Philippi, and the context of Philippians 4 is about dealing with your anxiety and resting in the peace that God gives, which surpasses our understanding, which is really frustrating to think about when you actually critically think about that. And then it's talking about contentment. And there's this verse right in the middle between peace and contentment. He says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Yeah, we say amen, but dang God, I do not think about those things very often. Especially the last two days while I was fighting with my wife, nothing was lovely. Come on, I'm talking to some real people. Paul challenges the church who's dealing with anxiety and a lack of contentment, and he tells them this verse. If I was the audience in Philippi, I'd be like, I hate you. Because think about it. How many times in our lives are we thinking about the proper things which actually can bring peace into our lives? Whatever is true, that means whatever can't be hidden. Whatever is noble, that means to be in awe of or to honor. Whatever is right, that just means righteous. It's the Greek word diakos, which gets translated as justice in our uh, New Testament scriptures. However, it's also the Greek word righteous. Does it ever make you think the fact that the New Testament writers only translated that as justice in the New Testament and not righteous? That's, okay, I'll let you think that about that. Whatever is pure, holy, whatever is lovely, pleasing, or grateful, whatever is admirable, well-reported, or kind, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that's my challenge for you. As you think about the life that you're living right now in your dash, it's easy to talk about the dash. It's not easy to talk about how well you are living in your dash. Are you doing those things, as Paul said in Philippians 4.8? Are, are you thinking about other people in light of those things? Because it's so easy to know the worst about people. Can you love them while you know the worst about them? Can you honor people when they're so easy to not honor them? Because honor speaks more about you than it does about other people. Can you live in a way that's pure? And I, this is one of those church words. People are like, oh, man, you just got to get holy. My friends, you can't get holy. You already are holy because holiness is a gift. So you can stop striving to become holy and start recognizing you already are because your performance does not dictate your position in the kingdom of God. However, it does dictate how much of the kingdom of God will flow through you in your dash to the people that are living your life around you. So as I close, Tim, come out here and help me close. It's short and sweet. I want you to think about your life this week. Think about your life today at lunch. Think about your life at dinner. Think about your dash. 
ask this question to the people that you go out to lunch with or to have dinner with today, is, is what are you doing with your dash and are you proud of it? And what are you going to do right now to change your dash if you're not proud of it? Because the only question you should be asking yourself right now is, is your life beautiful? Is my life beautiful? Brian Zahn, he's a pastor out in Kansas City. He wrote a book several years ago. Bishop Jamie told me to read it. I read it, loved it. It's like one of my favorite books of all time. It says, Beauty is What Will Change the World. Even that title is super thought-provoking because many times we think that our vote is what will change the world. Our opinions is what will change the world. Our social media posts is what will change the world. Even though social media is just an echo chamber of confirmation bias. You know other people's Facebook looks nothing like your Facebook? Just, thought, just throwing that out there. Beauty is what will change the world. People aren't, aren't attracted to dogma. They're attracted to beauty. Man, I was initially attracted to my wife for her physical beauty. That's just a fact. And then I fell in love with her inward beauty. But it's beauty is what attracts me to her. And I want to be a type of person that lives in such a way that I'm living beautifully, that people are attracted to the things that I'm a part of to help build the kingdom here in New Albany, Floyd's Knobs, Jeffersonville, wherever you live, because I believe that God has always been working in the hearts and lives of people. Some of us have just been sleeping to it. We haven't been aware that our dash is still being written and we have power to control what happens with our dash. And you're not striving to earn anything spiritually in the kingdom of God. You already have all of those things. David said you lack nothing. So do you lack nothing or do you? And if you think you lack something, then it's because you haven't awoken to the fact that it has already been given to you in Christ. And so you do have power and impact to change the people around you. And not from a dogmatic way, but from a curious way. You do have power because if you live in a way that's beautiful, people will be attracted to your life. There's three things I want to I want to build with beauty. I want to build people. I want people when they're around me to be encouraged and to leave full because they've stood in my presence. I want to be a builder of projects. I want to really build some things, not just in our community, but things like books that will help people develop in their lives with Christ. I, I want to build beautiful projects that when people are a part of the things that I'm a part of, they leave full. And I want to build prophets, not like church prophets, financial prophets. Because Proverbs says a good man leaves an inheritance to his kids' kids. And I want to live in a way that's sacrificial now so my kids don't have to worry about financial blessings in the future because they recognize they are the financial blessing for their peers. And so I'm training my kids to recognize their dash is important. Your dash is important. Your dash is significant. You are so significant. Don't ever think you aren't. And we have power to live lives that are beautiful. And so join us on this seven-week journey as we dissect our dash, as we talk about the things that we're a part of, as we talk about our community impact, as we talk about the impact that we have on our own individual areas of influence, because you all have an area of influence. And are you living in a way that attracts people to your life? So focus. Actually, I'm going to challenge you. Memorize Philippians 4.8. I don't have it memorized. I'll memorize it with you. Hopefully next week I can get up on the stage and tell it to you from memory without looking at that huge TV in the back. Is that good? Are you challenged today? Are you provoked today to think about your dash because you're still writing it 
And if you're not proud of the story that you've told up to this point, you have the power to change it. And you're in a safe place to help you along those lines of figuring out where it is that God wants to impart the goodness of God through you to the people that you have power over, influence over. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you give us value. I thank you that you give us significance. I thank you that we don't have to strive for anything in the kingdom of God. We simply just receive it. We awaken to it, and then we walk in it, empowering every single person we meet with the love, grace, and acceptance that you've given all of us in this room. I pray that you really challenge us. Every single one of us has something in our dash that we might not be proud of. Every single one of us has something that we might not have continued to pursue. Would you put that on the heart of your beloved children today? Would you give them opportunities to have conversations about their dash? Would you encourage them around their dash? Would you challenge them around their dash? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen, church. We'll think about our team in Guatemala this week. Give out a prayer. I'm sure if you follow us on social media, Pastor Shannick is going to be jumping on, doing a couple Facebook Lives, Instagram Lives, so that he probably didn't know he was going to do that, so now he has to because I said it. But join us on that journey to see what they're doing, to see how they're impacting, and just know, church, as always, you're loved, and there is nothing you can do about it. Go and connect people to life this week. We'll see you all next week.